0: What was it like for you when Axel joined LA Guns? Axel added like a real different kind of a rawness to the band. He had the attitude, he had the, the whole vibe going on.
1: Welcome back to the first 50 gigs, Guns and Roses, and the making of Appetite for Destruction. It's fall, 1984, and the new Hollywood Rose had just split a version of Hollywood Rose that at one point was comprised of four of the five members of the Appetite lineup. Axel, Slash, Stephen Adler, and bassist Steve Darrow call it quits and once again, take a spin through the incestuous revolving door of bands. Izzy had joined London a few months prior and Duff had just arrived to Hollywood from Seattle. Today, our guest is Rob Gardner, drummer for the garage band Pyrus, and co-founder of L.A. Guns with Tracy Guns on guitar, Oli Bike on bass, and Mike Jaggetts as frontman. The band launched out of Fairfax High School, first as Pyrus, and then L.A. Guns, and were on the rise in 1984, playing gigs on the Strip and building a following. But with Axel out of Hollywood Rose in September 1984, opportunism trumped loyalty, and LA Guns recruited him to replace Mike. Rob Gardner will talk to us about his history, the formation of LA Guns, and the eventual changes that led to the original lineup of Guns N' Roses. So, Rob, thank you for joining us and we're very excited to have you on the show. Before we get into the particulars of you know when you started with Tracy and LA Guns, do you want to give us just a little bit of Background: Where you came from, and how you arrived to Los Angeles, and how you met Tracy.
0: I uh, grew up in in New York. I was born in Manhattan and uh, lived in Westchester County, New York. It's just upstate a little bit. In grammar school, uh, I was like in fifth grade, and a buddy of mine um, was playing drums. I think his dad was was running the the marching band, and um, I was like, "Yeah, I want to do that," you know. So I got. Uh, got you know in with the band and started learning all the snare you know all the rudiments and all that kind of stuff and and uh started marching in parades and what have you so then after that i decided i want a drum set you know after a couple of years i was like i wanted i wanted to you know good. so i got a drum set just a practice down in my basement all the time and then we did um some talent shows at the at the school and um we like took a couple of beatles songs and what have you and and was getting like first place things on there. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, you know. What
1: kind of other music were you into at that time?
0: I have two older sisters, but the one that was living with me, her boyfriend left a a Deep Purple tape, a cassette tape, on the on the table. I guess he forgot it, and I and I found it. I'm like, Deep Purple, what's that? You know, and I put it in the the cassette player, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is. Crazy. So I took it downstairs with my tape recorder and my just started playing along with it, like Ian Ian Pace, I think that was. And um, and then I got I was into cream, ginger baker, I was obviously Zeppelin, John Bonham, you know, um, Keith Moon, Mahoo. I learned from, you know, just playing along with uh, all the all those great drummers, you know. By the time I got to LA I was like I was a I was yeah, you know, a good drummer, so
1: how long before you really started hitting the Sunset Strip? Once I met Tracy,
0: I think that's when that kind of started coming into play. Cause he was adventurous too. And we, you know, we were just, we wanted all of what was going on and and yeah. So we used to go up there. We weren't even old enough to get in the clubs obviously, but we would just go up there and hang out. I met him in um, electronics class. At
1: Fairfax High?
0: At Fairfax High. More more interesting, when I when I first moved to L.A., so I was in the middle of ninth grade. So I went to another school first before I went to I actually went to Fairfax in 10th grade at that other school. I met um, Mike, who was the singer for L.A. Guns, Mike Jagos, but his brother Dave Jagos had a band and Izzy was in that band. So I actually met Izzy before like I met him before Tracy, before Axel before
1: any of those guys. So, at what point did you and Tracy decide to, you know, start making music together?
0: So um, we were in class, you know, that then got to talking and stuff, and figured out that we we're both, you know, he said he plays guitar, I said, oh, I'm a drummer. Oh, cool. We should jam sometime. So his dad had a plumbing shop over in Studio City. And he goes, we can we can jam over there if you you know if, if you want you know you want to bring your drums over or something like that and we just gotta wait till you know they're done with work and he said other than that we can jam all night and I'm like, okay so that's what we did we jammed over there and then we jammed actually at, at my dad's house too I had a I had a big enough room and my drums were set up in there and we would just come over and it would just be guitar and drums so that's originally how we started. Were you in Pyrus? Yes. Yeah, me and him started that that whole project.
1: Okay, and who else
0: was in Pyrus? Uh, Danny Tull played um, played bass.
1: At this point, there was some rivalry going on in Fairfax. Was was Slash a part of that rivalry? Did you guys know, was he part of that circle?
0: Tracy and Slash, they, they knew each other. Um, and they both play guitar, so they kind of had a little bit of a, you know, uh, little competition thing going on. And then uh, Slash had his band, and we had ours. And what were they? Uh, road crew? Was that road crew? It was
2: Titus Sloan. And at, at that time, Titus Sloan, Yes. I remember seeing, I guess it was Pyrus at a playing a party, uh, like uh Orlando near Melrose or something between yeah. Beverly and Melrose and. You guys were doing a bunch of Zeppelin covers, and I remember being at that party with Slash, and I remember, I think I think it might have, you guys were playing rock and, the song Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin, and Tracy was just all over the place. He was just like, you know, moving it around, doing the Jimmy Page thing, but the, the band was pretty cool, and I remember looking at Slash saying, wow, look at these guys, because I didn't, you know, it was the first time I saw any of you guys. I didn't really know Tracy. And uh, Slash had already said, yeah, yeah, I know them. And it was like no big deal to him. But to me, it was like that. there's another band on the circuit that's, you know, good and ready to go.
1: (laughs) To watch the video podcast of the first 50 gigs, that includes exclusive photos and videos from this episode and the entire season. Join our growing community on Patreon and subscribe. So, Rob, when was L.A. Guns formed?
0: Pyrus basically kind of turned into L.A. Guns. And I want to say 82, 83, like 82, I think, in there. And um, we had met um, Raz. Chasey knew him, and then um, he introduced me to him, and and he said yeah i think this guy can help us out you know he's money wise you know and and uh he wants to kind of he's into like the management thing and he said uh he can he can help us out so like okay so then next thing you know um we did like a a little a a demo and um that was the white album uh it just kind of took off from there we started getting like we started getting like bumper stickers and we would just plaster those bumper stickers everywhere and And then a little, you know, all kinds of stuff, matchbooks and what have you and just just started promoting the band, you know.
2: I remember there being an L.A. Guns banner above the rainbow that Raz, Raz must have paid for that. Also, I think that was around 1984 because you guys were still pirates at December at December 31, 1983. When you guys mm-hmm. played that show with uh, Road Crew at Curly Joe Studios, so you were still okay. pirate. So you must have right after that is when you must have changed to LA Guns.
1: So what's going on behind the scenes here is that the new Hollywood Rose broke up and everyone kind of went their own different way. And it was around this time that Raz Q signed on to be the manager for LA Guns, and he knew Axel and started lobbying Axel to join. As the lead singer, Axel refused a couple times because he had, you know, I think he wanted to try to keep Hollywood Rose together. But eventually, it, it did break up, and they played their last gig at the Troubadour on the 29th of 1984 of August. Uh-huh. Um, Raz tries to get Axel again, but Axel had mentioned that to, to Raz, and this is from Raz's book. That Axel didn't think that him and Tracy had the same vision, but according to Raz. At that time, after New Hollywood Rose broke up, Axel actually returns back to Indiana to figure out his options, but eventually decides to give LA one more chance with LA Guns. Mm-hmm. So he came back in October of 1984. Axel joined LA Guns with Tracy, you on the drums, and, and Oldebeck on, on bass, and that was kind of the, the the start of you know LA Guns again. So when Axel came in had you known him before was that your first introduction? That's the first question. The second question is, you know, when he replaced your other lead singer, you know, what was that dynamic like and how did things, how did things change?
0: So I did know Axel. I knew uh, of him because um, Hollywood Rose, they had a, a drummer, Johnny, um, Johnny Christ, I think it was. And um Sometimes he'd go AWOL, he'd go missing, and like they had a gig, and they're like, "What are we going to do?" And they, they, and so I knew Chris Weber, and he would say, "Hey, can you can you fill in for Johnny?" I knew all the songs, so I used to I used to play with Hollywood Rose, you know, just um, just fill in spots here and there for you know when they needed a drummer. So that was kind of a cool thing too.
1: Putting it back to you, what what was it like for you when Axel joined LA Guns? Was there was that a shift for you, for the band? Axel coming in was kind of a fresh
0: uh, energy. You know, he definitely had that. He had the attitude. He had the 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 whole the whole vibe going on. Um, so Axel added like a real uh, a different kind of a rawness to the band, I think. And I think we all fed off of that. I liked um, having that Hollywood Rose influence in there too. It gave a freshness to, to uh, LA, La Guns because La Guns was was real um, real heavy metal, like um, which is fine. I mean, I, I like it and stuff. But we were like me and Tracy used to go watch Wasp and and like you know like all the heavy bands. You know that was our that was our thing. You know and and Motley Crue and stuff like that. When Axel came in, he brought some of the Hollywood Rose feel to the band. So. It just gave it a twist, and we were just able to make it, um, you know, kind of gel together.
1: And you you also then inherited some songs from Hollywood Rose, like Shadow of Your Love and Anything Goes. Yes. Which had a lot of influence also from Izzy as a composer at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you want to talk about anything around that, that kind of influence that that Izzy brought with those songs, even though he wasn't in the band yet? It had its own flavor
0: its own style you know to it and i i knew it already because i had played with hollywood rose and done shows with them and i knew you know, like um that you know there's a difference between like la guns and hollywood rose there was definitely a difference in
1: in styles and genres if you will but when you put them together it was like kind of a cool mix did you feel that axel was trying to push la guns to be more like that hollywood rose sound and did that create a rift with Tracy?
0: The, the influence was definitely there and yeah I think he was probably pushing that a little bit yeah you have to let let a person an artist be who they are you know you can't fight it uh, Tracy played guitar the way he played I played drums the way I played and Axel sang the way he sang and and that's how the magic happens like everyone just does their own thing you know they they uh, they, they put their two cents in and, and that's how it Comes about, so uh, it it worked.
1: I think the first gig that Axel played with you guys was October fifth, nineteen eighty four, at the Troubadour. Mark, this was the gig that you covered for Axel, but you didn't want to share that with Slash. Do You want to talk about that quickly? Well, yeah.
2: Uh, Axel, you know, Axel and I became friends when I met him with Slash. So when he was working with LA Guns, he called me and asked if I could take some pictures at the show. And I didn't really want to tell Slash about it because uh, they were rivals and I didn't want him to think that I was helping his rival. And, and uh, we were at a party together and Slash was um, intoxicated with alcohol. And he probably shouldn't have been bothered, but I bothered him to get him because I he was I was taking him home that night, dropping him off, and uh, he just wasn't ready to leave. But I I had to make the gig. It was at midnight, and it was like eleven thirty. So I forced him to come with me to drop him home, and he ended up throwing up in my car. <laughs> so that it, it, you know that's what I get, I guess. But uh, I did make that gig, and it was a, it was a it was a good fit. I saw LA Guns and and they were definitely a good a, a good band and i knew already some of the songs cuz you know they were hollywood rose they played at hollywood rose shows but coincidentally i, I believe london was playing yes. on the same I was bill that up. on the same bill which izzy was in london so uh, i didn't see london set but uh, there was some rivalry already that night between axel was angry at london for something I, I wasn't sure what it was but
0: it was it was the sound check because we, we did sound check and 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 the guys in London took up the whole sound check time that was supposed to be for both bands. They get half and we get half. And we barely got a sound check with like, you know. So that's what Axel was pissed about. Oh,
2: I know, I remember he ripped up he was thanking London and then he ripped up one of their posters. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember that. That's Axel's yeah. Axel. Whatever is on his mind is gonna he's gonna let you know about it. before us
1: London this is one of their posters now
0: Being that we were uh, so rushed for sound check, and we ended up just finishing late. So um, we only had a certain amount of time by the time we finished sound check and had to go home and or back to the studio or whatever, get, get showered, cleaned up, changed, and back to the club, you know. And uh, I remember my car had broken down, and I borrowed a friend of mine's motorcycle, and I was living. Like so I would take Laurel Canyon into the back into the valley and I was living in the valley. So I'm like I took the motorcycle, I think I'd go over the hill, go home, shower real quick, you know, get my set together. And I literally put my stage clothes on. So I had like these these black leather shorts laced up the side. I had like a fishnet shirt on with a like my white leather jacket and like, my my hair and like you know, the makeup and the whole deal and um, I get on the bike and I fucking—it's already nighttime by then—and I like I'm jamming over Laurel Canyon on the bike, trying to get to the show on time. You know, you know, I get there and I pull up in front and and the guy's like, you know, I go, "Can you park this for me?" You know what I mean? Like the valet guy. I go, "I'm I'm I'm on right now," and he's like, "Go." So I just I just went in and the lights were literally out everyone was on stage the lights were out i walked right up the stage sat on my jumps and started clicked it off and started playing it was awesome
1: according to raz you guys, you guys blew the audience away
0: yeah we re- we we tore it up on that show i we we definitely did so after axel tore up the poster you know he did this little rant you know he Toy's like, fuck London, and everyone starts to fuck London, you know, <laughs> they're tearing it up. And then we did, uh, we did a song called Nice Boys, Don't Play Rock and Roll, you know, Rose Tattoo. And um, we tore it up, man, just, 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 just like, you know, just, it was awesome. There,
1: there is another show at the Troubadour the following week on October 13th, 1984. And Mark, you, you shot this show as well. In fact, Mark, you shot a picture of Axel that i think is one of the most iconic shots of your entire archive it's him you know with the mic leaning backwards and it's it's an extraordinary moment and i think it just captures all of the the promise right and all of that energy that axel had and brought to the game and really foreshadowed i think his success <laughs> To preview the full experience of the first 50 gigs video podcast that includes exclusive photos and videos from Mark's Archive, check out the first 50 gigs YouTube channel. You'll find the link right here in our episode show notes. Axel and Raz actually have a falling out about some incident at the Rainbow Room, and Axel quits L.A. Guns. Rob, do you have any recollection of that falling out?
0: I think there was a few of them. Yeah, that was just one of them, you know?
1: So it sounds like after that New Year's Eve show, Axel, you know, kind of comes, comes back around, and there's sort of this kind of change and disruption that's going on. Raz suggests that Izzy joins... L.A. Guns, and Izzy comes in and has his own ideas about, you know, what's what. And also around this time, there's a change in the name from L.A. Guns, Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. Do you remember some of the, you know, the transitions that were going on in early
0: 1985? I remember the, um, you know, Izzy coming around. And so that was a whole, that was another dynamic as well. And like I said, I had known him already. We we knew each other already. But I knew him and him and Axel were a team. Yeah, and I remember the day when when the the name change kind of came about, and that was a little rough because um, Tracy and I had really worked so hard on the Ellie Guns thing, and and Raz too. You know, like that that name was just already imprinted, and like you know, we already had a buzz going around, and you know. All of a sudden, that's just going to disappear. And then we ultimately both decided, yeah, all right, well, let's just do it. And and uh, I don't remember Raz's uh, thing with that. I I, I I don't know if he was going out of the picture at that point or, you know. I,
1: I, I, think, I think Raz ran out of money <laughs> at that point. Yeah. And I, I think he couldn't be the kind of manager slash benefactor that he was for LA Guns. And I think he had enough confidence that Axel, Izzy, and Tracy could carry the momentum of Guns N' Roses into this new, into the new brand, into the new name, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I think he did start to take kind of a a backseat. I think what's also notable here is that Izzy starts to suggest that Olibeck was a little too punk for the band, or there was just, there was something about his playing that he didn't feel kind of meshed with the direction that he wanted. And he and he introduced this new guy who just arrived onto the scene, whose name was Duff Rose. And everybody thought it was cool that his last name was Rose. and It, it was meant to be because, right. you know, it was Guns N' Roses. So right. there was this additional disruption now. There was this new element coming in where Izzy wanted Oli, Oli out. Yeah. And he wanted Duff to come in. What was your experience of that so what was going on there was um only
0: came from like merciful fate and from Denmark you know and they they were like metal you know and and there was no like glam going on as heavy as we were and as rock and roll as we were that 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 vibe when the Hollywood Rose thing came in was just like a a different thing like all together like it was just you know LA guns he could fit in cuz they like dum 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 you know but when hollywood rose came into the picture it was much it was just a different vibe and it, it kind of wasn't him and the glam thing he like he did he would not wear freaking makeup for nothing like he'd do his hair up you know and or have it done up and he, he had like cool hair and but and as far as any kind of like uh makeup and being a little more glammy on the edge kind of thing uh, it just wasn't it wasn't it wasn't him so I think um that's when Izzy suggested uh he had a friend up in Seattle um Duff that would fit like perfectly you know he would he would really give that that the flavor that we needed you know in a, in a bass player I think they drove up there and and
1: got him like went and picked them up so Duff actually moved independently from Seattle to okay. Los Angeles and- yeah and took up a number of just you know, yeah. job any kind of job that he could get, whether it was in a restaurant or or whatever. But he ends up moving into this you know flea bag of an apartment in Hollywood that ended up being literally across the street from Izzy. And they bumped into each other a couple times. Once at a group, like girlfriend's house, and and maybe they saw each other in the street. But they they bumped into each other enough times to form a friendship. Yeah, and then. Obviously, they had music, you know, that they were talking about and sharing, and influences, and they they got along enough to where they started, you know, just messing around together, and that's when Izzy pulled in Duff to Guns N' Roses.
2: Duff was here. Duff was here because he started. They started coincidentally jamming with Slash and Steven three, or four months before that. When Slash and Steven were trying to put Road Crew together, they put an ad in the Recycler, and uh, Duff answered the ad, and they met at Canter. So they Duff was briefly in road crew for about a week, but it fell apart because they didn't have a singer, and it just wasn't—it just was not. Okay. it wasn't as, not enough strong enough backbone.
1: But it turns out when you guys started playing as Guns N' Roses, that you you still had that following. We had we
0: had both followings, so it was kind of cool. It was like the so when you put you know two bands together, obviously your crowd's gonna just automatically get bigger.
1: It was you, Izzy, Tracy. And Duff, right? Yes. And, you know, you guys started playing, you had a couple different gigs. The the lineup of gigs that I have here is April 11th at Radio City in Anaheim, an April 24th gig at the Troubadour. But around this time, Raz organizes this KPFK interview. Yes. And you all recorded a few songs with Willie Bass in the studio. Yes. Um, this was the first ever GNR radio appearance. What well, can you tell us about that moment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, I remember that well. We were rehearsing at Willie's studio in the Valley, out in North Hollywood over there. And um, he had like a, a mixing board set up. And, and so we mic'd everything and and basically just did a live recording. Everything sounded good. I mean, you know, everything sounded sounded good. So we did "Think About You," um, Set of Your Love." There was one more. Uh, "Don't Cry," "Don't Cry Tonight," because "Don't Cry Tonight" was like brand new song. We just had just come up with it like a couple of days before or something like that. And so, the when the radio interview came, it was kind of a it was kind of a late night thing, and it was like a real indie kind of a feel, you know. You know, she she says, "Yeah, this is two bands coming in together. It's it's L.A. Guns and Hollywood Rose, and now they're calling it Guns N' Roses."
2: This is still KPFK,
1: Los Angeles, and this is Hope here with uh, Guns N'
2: Roses. Roses. Guns N' Roses. That Guns was Roses. called "Think About You." Yeah, the band Guns N' Roses. Uh, a
0: lot of people probably haven't heard of them because it's two bands that combined, uh, like we were saying, L.A. Guns and Hollywood Rose, <coughs> and um basically a rock and roll band. She played a song off of the LA Guns, the EP, right? And then she played, you know, one of the rehearsal songs that we did um, that earlier that night, it was literally that night of the radio interview that we that we recorded everything. And, and uh, so that way, you can kind of tell, like, okay, that was LA Guns. And but here we are doing a Hollywood Rose song, you know, we did Shadow of Your Lover, whatever it was, and you know, so that way you can you could, you know, kind of hear the difference and and, you know, feel feel the mess, if you will.
1: So that that only games in the Hollywood Rose together is what you feel was really the beginning of Guns N' Roses. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, uh, here we are, KPFK Los Angeles, and uh, we have Guns N' Roses
0: now. Who is in this band and what do you all do? And. What is this tape we're gonna play? Uh, this is Guns N' Roses in this band, it's myself, Izzy, Izzy Stranded, uh, guitar, <laughs> Tracy Guns, guitar, uh, Axl Rose on vocals, uh, Axl and I are from Hollywood Rose uh, originally, and um, Rob Gardner on drums, and a uh, friend Duff play bass. Rob, do you have anything to say for yourself? What do you do, Rob? Mm-hmm. What does this boy do? What Rob's the play? drummer. Oh, he plays play drums. Drum. Yeah, he plays yeah. he's pretty good. I think uh, we got yeah.
2: Back, yeah. The we love- songs that you uh, just heard, we just we just actually did them before we came in here.
0: <laughs> we were all kind of riled up, you know, and and uh, I remember Axel saying something like, "Yeah, we're Guns and Roses," and and if anyone's around uh, at. Uh, we're gonna be at Candies across the street from the radio station, and and uh, you guys want to come down and like you know hang out with us? We'll be over there. You know what I mean? Like just promoting, like just right off the bat, right off the gate. Well, that was
2: Guns and Roses. Anything goes.
0: Thank you. That, that's about what this is tonight. Anything goes. Guns N Roses. and Roses. We say good, good night. night
2: Everybody and co- come job. see them
1: at the Troubadour. Come see me in five minutes at and Danny's the... Restaurant on Cowinga, right across the street. <laughs> to watch the video podcast of the first 50 gigs, that includes exclusive photos and videos from this episode and the entire season, join our growing community on Patreon and subscribe. You know Raz said in his book that Izzy held respect from both Tracy and Axel and that he was almost like the center of gravity at the time. Mm-hmm. like he was Izzy's world, and Axel and Tracy were just rocking in it. You know, mm-hmm. What was your experience with Izzy having that much influence on, on the music and the movement of the bands?
0: Izzy was a songwriter, you know? It was, you know, and we needed songs. And the songs they were coming up
1: with was were freaking good, so you know it just it, it worked. And and personality-wise, do you think is he like you know he was a lot more kind of laid back, cool, grounded? Yes. yes. Was he that counterbalance to Axel?
0: Yeah. Uh, again, knowing that they were uh, friends and they kind of grew up together, and they were kind of a kind of a, like a, a, a team, if you will, and you kind of just trusted that. You know that they had that they had that going for the for them, and then me and Tracy were like a, a team. You know what I mean? And then uh, yeah, like I said, Duff just came in. I think uh, Izzy was was kind of like a ringleader in, in a sense. I I would say that he had a way of of um, kind of orchestrating things. And then when he spit out these songs, like he had it finished from start to you know he had it written from start to finish. Like this is it. Here we go. And then, you know, we'd add in our flavors and stuff and, and my fills. And, and I think luckily um, it was cool that he was able to let um, everyone kind of put their, their their own style into it. But, and it worked. So it, there was no fighting about it or nothing like that. I think it just all worked. It, it worked good.
1: With the dynamic that was evolving in Guns N' Roses, Did you feel there was a momentum building with the band and the music that was beyond what was going on in the strip at the time? Or did you, did you feel like, you know, you were building enough momentum and enough complexity with the music that you thought you guys had a chance of perhaps being discovered and taking those next steps?
0: Yeah, there was definitely a momentum going on. Like, one of the ideas for the band was to, uh, and I think this was kind of, and it is idea and, and everyone kind of agreed with it was like, let's get off of the strip. You know, let's, let's, let's go play orange County. Let's go play like on the outskirts and let's get a buzz going out there. And, and cause we already had, you know, I think individually, we each had our people here already, but, um, you know, going on the outskirts, like uh, the Timbers was, was out in Glendora all the way down to 210 and then uh, Dancing Waters, you know, that's like going on tour. That's like, like to, to like a Hollywood rock band. They're like, well, we got to drive all the way down there and go play. But I remember those shows and each one of those shows, like Dancing Waters and, and the Timbers, we got a really good reaction out there. I remember that. I remember it was like, I remember coming, being done with that show and going, whoa, that's uh, like people were out there like, you know, like, like dancing and like kind of slamming a little bit. It was like that enough hardcore enough where we really got that crowd going. I actually just had that energy. He was able to just, just, just get it out of the crowd, you know, and, uh, and the attitude. And they, they knew we were from Hollywood, you know. The gutter, like Izzy called it, you know. <laughs> and uh so it was cool. Like we we made we made an impact with those people that saw those shows that night for for sure. I think that was one of the first times I saw Axel wear a kilt at that timber. show. It was one of those shows. Um, the Timbers or the Waters, but um so that was different for everyone. They're like, you know, what's what's going on there, you know?
1: After the Timbers, there's another show at the Troubadour on the 26th. Mm -hmm. And now now we're beginning to lead into a few defining moments that would seal the fate of the original Guns N' Roses lineup. But Duff comes up with this idea for the Seattle tour. And the way that he and Izzy were talking about it, they called it the Shakeout Cruise (laughs) to see what people were made of. Right. It was it was a homecoming for Duff to get the band back there. But in their mind, it was also a test and they were expressing doubts about Tracy. So what do you remember about them introducing this idea about the Seattle tour? I don't
0: remember it being like a test of who was, you know, who was really going to, you know, have the balls enough to go and and, and just take that chance. you know, the leap of faith and to do that thing so much. I, I think it was just uh, like, you know, a decision that um, Tracy and I had made, like not, to, you know, not to go. Or I can't even remember, like, if I decided not to go and then he bowed out later or was it vice versa? He wasn't going and then I bowed out.
1: This is actually a really important moment. And I want to make sure that we consider... All sides of the story that we've, we've heard from various people who were around. That includes, you know, Slash and Duff, um, as well as Raz. And so one version says that, you know, Izzy and Duff and, and maybe even Axel really confronted Tracy and said, you know, we don't want you in the band anymore and gave him the boot and that you were upset about that. And you dropped out when Tracy was forced out and Raz tries to get you to stay, and the band wanted you to stay, but that they forced Tracy out. So that's that's one version of the story. It sounds correct. Yeah, the other version of the story is that Duff came up with this Seattle tour and you and Tracy were like, you know, screw that, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, like you said, where are we gonna eat, where are we gonna sleep, how are we gonna get there? And you guys were like, we're not going on this tour. and And that was the end of the lineup the original lineup of Guns N' Roses. So um, which one, which one do you think is more accurate? I do remember
0: quitting. I remember going down to the studio and I, I I remember quitting and I think it was, I don't know if Tracy was already out. And then I decided not to do the tour thing because I was, you know, because of the, because of all those issues. So, um, It could have been a combination. I'm sorry, I I think it was a combination of those two stories, really, um, to be fair.
1: So neither of you wanted to go on the trip, but also there was a natural breaking up that was happening simultaneously.
0: Even though things were going good, like musically, I guess, and and and, uh, there was a good vibe going, and and, um, I think we were still kind of butthurt about the Ellie Guns thing. That's what I'm thinking. You know I just remember that being that that was hard to stake because we really did like put so much blood sweat and tears into LA Guns and all of a sudden it was like it was gone and then and then and it was really just me and Tracy like running that whole show and then all of a sudden then we got these other factors these other guys and you know starting to kind of run the show kind of over us if you will you know and I think Tracy didn't like that so there was some clashing going on and I'm just the drummer, you know? I'm just like, well, you guys figure it out, but um, when do I play, you know, sort of thing, I, um, you know? But I think when Tracy was gone, I I just kind of followed, I followed him out. You know, the tour thing was just, you know, uh, out of the question, I guess, for us, both of us were
1: so. And that ended up being what is later known as the Hell Tour. So everything that you predicted happened. <laughs> The car broke down. They hitchhiked to Seattle.
0: All their equipment got stolen.
1: Yeah, it, it was it was a mess. However, it was something that they they went through. These five guys, these you know, Slash and Steven stepped in for you and Tracy. They played the troubadour on June sixth, which was a gig that you guys had already lined up. And then the next day, they went on the Hell Tour. And the collective experience that they had going on that tour, I think, cemented them as a band. (laughs) To watch the video podcast of the first 50 gigs that includes exclusive photos and videos from this episode and the entire season. Join our growing community on Patreon and subscribe. So when you and Tracy left, did you then reform LA Guns? No, I think
0: we, we both kind of, um, we both took a break, um, I think, from each other at that point, which ended up being pretty much permanent, um, that, that break. I didn't really want there to be like any bad blood, really. You know, I just, um, you know, I know they probably weren't too happy that I split, but you know, it obviously worked out. You know, they had a, a drummer and a guitar player that were already a team just came right in and boom, just fit in and and uh, obviously, you know, the rest is history.
1: What, what part of it was, was hard for you just the
0: fact that, just the fact that I knew, um, you know, I helped form that, that whole project and, 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 um, and then just the way the whole sequence of events, you know. So, yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was hard to see it going on and I wasn't a part of it anymore because they started doing good, you know. Uh, so that was hard. That's hard. I mean, obviously
1: understandable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you you generated this momentum going back to L.A. Guns mm-hmm. and rolled it into Guns N' Roses. Yeah. You built it up as Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And then you dropped out of it, mm-hmm. and the momentum that Slash and Steven inherited from you really served them well
2: mm-hmm. as
1: they carried on into the next phase. Mm-hmm. What ima- I would imagine what was hard was watching all of that momentum basically be captured by... different group. Yes.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty well said there. Yeah.
1: You know, was there that sting for you? Um, once the band became very successful. Yes. Do you mind talking about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it happened with, for me, it happened with LA guns and guns N' roses. You know what I mean? So it was like a double whammy, you know, for me. Um, And, um, you know, I was happy for them. I mean, I obviously, you know, and I was glad to be a part of it and all that. But yeah, when you, they got, they signed their record deal on my birthday, which was kind of funny. Um, And then I think the last show that I did with them was on my birthday as well. So like a year later they they signed, you know, and and started taking off off. and so yeah, it stung. Yeah. I was happy for him. I was like, wow, you know? And when it came out it was like just just friggin' like it was huge. So yeah. It was it was rough.
1: But you also influenced that sound and you were, you know, you are a part of that, you know, appetite sound just from what you brought from LA Guns to to Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your your contribution is there in the music. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I remember um, uh, Izzy introduced uh, Think About You and how we really all worked together on that. I, I remember it like clear as day, like, because it was a great song. Hey, how about this? You know, with, you know, just, just this fill right here and just the dynamics of everything. I added a lot of dynamics to that song and like Move to the City was, uh, it just had a certain groove to it that I just liked playing. I was like, that, that was one thing I noticed about um, about when Hollywood Rose came into the LA Guns thing and, and that mess was taking place, that I, I liked the the grooves and the, and it, it, it felt different, like more unique than just kind of regular heavy metal, you know, like, you know, there was, it had more of a groove, more of a, 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 a beat. I, I felt comfortable with that, you know. And a lot of that stuff didn't change very much once it went on, on vinyl. It just, it never changed. It was like pretty much the same exact song.
1: Your contribution to this story is significant. I don't want to under understate that. And- um, Oh, thank you. you. Know, yeah. No. Uh, I, mean, I I definitely, you know, I don't want to end this on a, on a somber note, but it, it was probably in retrospect, a very difficult choice that you had to live with yeah. after dropping out.
0: Yeah. I've been telling that story for years, <laughs> you, know, you know, you know what, all in all, um, I was glad to be part of it, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be part of it, you know, and um, I like GNR, and I'm a fan, you know, it's all, it's all, it's good, and I still, I see Slash around, like, hey, what's up, you know, just for, like that, I, I haven't seen Axel in years and years. Like I said, there's probably a time when they were taken off and I was like, Oh boy, you know, (laughs) you know, that could have been it for me right there. But, you know, um, it is what it is. And, and it's the way the cookie crumbled. And what are you going to do? You either lay down and die or you keep going on with it. You know, you just gotta move on, you know?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So all good. Well, Rob, thank you for being a part of this project. Absolutely. And I just, I thank you for your time and your contribution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Sure.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the first fifty gigs, Guns and Roses, and the making of Appetite for Destruction. To watch the video podcast, access bonus episodes and galleries, and buy show merchandise, join our growing community on Patreon and subscribe.